Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show here on Blog Talk Network. I'm your host, Cole Friel, and it is Thursday, May 9th. Uh, We will be dealing with the latest injuries and news. We will be talking about the first uh, seven or eight days in May and and some of the trends that have been developing there. We'll also be uh, looking forward to some streamers, uh, potentially some weekend matchups. But before we get into all that, I'd like to bring on my co-host, Kyle Amore, uh, Kyle is a writer at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Uh, he is also a uh, collegiate and semi-professional pitcher, or former uh, uh, semi-professional pitcher. Uh, welcome to the show, Kyle. Uh, how are you doing today? And uh, anything you'd like to start us off with? Oh, I'm doing well. Glad to be back on. Um, looking forward to tonight's show. Finally, after taking the past two weeks, just really, really getting my butt kicked in DFS. Things are finally looking little brighter, so I'm pretty happy about that. And we have a big week and a baseball coming up, so I'm very, very excited for that. And Sunday night, two Sundays in a row, the Cubs are going to be on uh, Sunday night baseball on ESPN, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I've been taking a couple weeks off of DFS. Been looking forward to getting back into it. I really wish I would have played yesterday because uh, I know I would have had Kyle Gibson. Uh, and I know I would have been all over uh, Jorge Polanco because, you know, those two guys that I seem to, to throw out quite a bit when they uh, seem to have some good, some good matchups. Um, but, but before we get into today's show, I, I'd like to remind our audience about ThriveFantasy.com. Uh, Thrive is a different model for the daily fantasy sports game, uh, unlike uh, others who offer uh, salary-based models. Thrive offers prop bets. Uh, you can go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and click on the Thrive link. Uh, if you go to if you go to thrivefantasy.com and put in the promo code MLFS, Thrive will match your first ten dollars. That's thrivefantasysports or thrivefantasy.com uh, and the promo code MLFS. Uh, we're also seeking members for our 2019 uh, fantasy football leagues. These are competitive leagues. Uh, and we look to uh, spread the net out as early as possible to try to find the right fits for these leagues. Um, if you are interested in, in filling a spot in one of these leagues, email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. That's MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. And if you like the work we do here, either uh, on the radio show, show or in our articles, uh, both both me and Kyle uh, write weekly columns for uh, MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. You can go to Patreon.com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports. That's Patreon.com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports. So, um, like I said, the first thing we'll get to uh, is, is the injuries and the news. Uh, I feel like we have more injuries to talk about than normal, um, so I'll actually get to, to more of the news section first so we can just get that out of the way. Um, one of the news stories that, that crossed um, – my my uh, my Twitter sphere uh, from from MLB trade rumors. I believe it was first reported uh, by maybe Pete Abraham uh, of, of the Boston Globe. Um, but but the idea is that Michael Chavez, uh, who's been having a, a great start to his career for the Boston Red Sox, uh, might get some playing time in the outfield. Um, you know, obviously he's someone who's 
probably been added in most leagues by now. He's hitting 293, six home runs, two stolen bases, and he wasn't up, obviously, at the beginning of the year, or at least from, from April 1st. But, you know, he, he's a player who, who's added in almost every league, uh, you would have to imagine. Um, but, you know, his value is still variable because we don't know what his playing time is going to be uh, in the long term. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about his chances to stick potentially at the outfield or, or get some playing time there? I think you're going to have to look at different options. I think the fact that he brings that versatility makes it even more intriguing for this team. I mean, if you look at it now, I mean, his his strikeout percentage is 32%. Not a problem. But if you look at it, you might think that's a little high, but you look at his walk percentage, 20%. That's pretty dang good for a rookie just, you know, upon his first major league call-up. So, I mean, they got to keep his bat in this lineup, uh, I mean, I was expecting more struggles than I've seen so far. So the fact that he's gone in there, he's had great plate discipline. Um, you know, the, he's been able to drive the ball and, and really make solid contact just makes it that more appealing to find playing time for him. And, I mean, the fact that they can do that, they can stick him in the outfield if that works, they can move him around the infield. And, and, and we're starting to see this a lot. I mean, if you think about guys like Chris Taylor, they can do it. We've seen it in the past. Uh, Trey Turner come up as an outfielder, you know, and, well, I mean, shortstop, but really moving the center and then put him back. And you're seeing this with teams, and the more versatility you have as a player, and especially if you have a hot bat in that lineup, it just gives them multiple, multiple different things to do. Yeah, you know, um, one of the reasons I wasn't it- – too interested in Jackie Bradley Jr. coming into the year um, is the fact that despite, you know, we, we've seen the up and downs before, but throw all that aside, the Boston Red Sox have a very flexible lineup. They've shown that to us in the past. They've moved guys around um, because ultimately, you know, you can make all, all the arguments you want about how good Jackie Bradley Jr. is at center field, but honestly, I think that if you move uh, Mookie and, and Benintendi to center and right, I don't know uh, who plays where. I do know right is, is pretty tricky in Fenway. Um, but if you put Mookie and Benintendi in center and right, you have two-thirds of still one of the better defensive outfields, I think, in baseball. I think that's better range than a lot of teams uh, get out of their center and right fielders uh, right there just between those two. Uh, and then, obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr. so far this year slashing 142, 240, uh, 170, has a negative 1.1 F war uh, on fan graphs. has been, has been uh, absolutely awful. Um, you know, maybe you believe he he turns around, especially for his right-handed pitchers, but he's never been uh, a particularly good hitter against lefties. I don't think it's all that implausible uh, that you know we start to see a little bit more of that against left-handed starters, where you know Mookie's starting in center uh, or or Ben starting in center, uh, and then you have Chavez in the outfield and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. potentially on the bench. Um, you know, we even saw that in the World Series a little bit when they were in the National League and they couldn't use the DH uh, and they had to slide JD. Uh, into the outfield. We saw Jackie Bradley on the bench and, and Mookie in center field, I believe. So uh, I, I definitely think that's that's one way they can uh, uh, potentially go m- moving forward into the future. A um, couple guys uh, getting uh, – oh, actually, one more guy – or no, a couple guys getting moved down. Um, Delano DeShields Jr. of the Texas Rangers down at AAA. Um, I believe it was Guzman's activation that, that sent him there. Um, and then a, a bit of a bigger name, uh, in terms of prospect news, both, both Carter Keboom uh, and Nathaniel Lowe were demoted. These are two guys that, that, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people had some very high expectations for them. Uh, I know quite a few uh, owners just personally that spent uh, a good amount of fab in redraft leagues for either Keboom 
uh, or Nathaniel Lowe, uh, both uh, back down to AAA. Uh, if you have any thoughts on either of these moves uh, for the players or, or either of these moves for the team, uh, feel free to go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, you can't have a guy on your team struggling as much as Delano DeShields has. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, he has taken a fair amount of, of walks compared to his strikeouts in 17 and 21, but, uh, I mean, if you're looking at his OBP, it's 321, and arguably, you know, right around his, his career average was, you know, it's right around the average mark, but still, I mean, you just can't have a guy in your lineup that is going to be an automatic out like that for the most part. So I think that was smart to give him, uh, you know, just to give the Rangers for their team a little bit of relief, bring in some guys, get them some playing time as well, get some guys off the injured list. So, I mean, it makes sense. But I know a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times this season, you know, I was looking for cheap options to get stolen bases. And, and early on, I did have the Shields on one of my teams. But it just wasn't working out like that. He simply wasn't getting on base. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just the best thing for the team. Uh, on the other side, too, with Tyreek um, Eboon, if he didn't show the struggle like he has, I highly doubt he would have been sent down. I, I think the plan, as soon as he was ready to get called up and they called him up, I, I thought that was going to be it. I think the organization thought that was going to be it too. But, I mean, the strikeouts, he's striking out almost 40%. Can't have that. They definitely can't have that. And he did look good. Don't get me wrong. There were times where he'd jump on a fastball. But I, I think right now with secondary pitches from these major league starting pitchers, he did look a, a little bit lost at times, and that's fine. You know, they'll send him down. You know, he's still young, 21 years old, his first base in major leagues. But, you know, he does have some things to work on, especially in those off-speed pitches. And with Nathaniel Lowe, now I uh, drafted him in a bunch of leagues too, especially after that season he had last year. And, you know, I was high on him coming into the season. And I thought it was a little – it was, it was a little interesting. I, I think with him, if you look at his numbers, not not, not too, too bad. I mean, his strikeout rate a little high than I'd want, which I, I get it. But at the same time, I think they were looking for a little bit more pop. I, I think this is more just a stop gap right now. Just to, I, Again, when you get guys on that injury list 10 days, it gives you some breathing room to give guys first look. So, and, and, I mean, he did get, what, nine games played, 38 played appearances, which is – which is fine, but at the same time, it just it, it, it's disappointing for fantasy rosters. So there you go. You finally get a guy that's not eating up a bench spot. He gets sent down. You're like, great. But uh, I there's no doubt in my mind that Nathaniel Lowe is going to be called up again. Probably, I, I, I would have to say, we'll probably see him again next month. But, I mean, he does also have some things uh, to work on. But, you, you know, the good thing about it is Tampa's looking good. Their team's not doing too bad. Getting him up there, Nathaniel Lowe, he's going to be powdered, no question about it. Give him this look. You see things that he struggled at. You see things that he needs to work on. You know, send him back down, work on it. You know, they're going to have to figure out, too, you know, uh, is he going to get a majority of the playing time at first base or is he, are they going to DH him a lot? So there's there's a whole lot of different things that they want to see uh, and work with and send him down. But I guarantee we'll see him back up within a month. The Shields is an interesting case going back to the uh, the beginning of the conversation. Um, obviously, I don't know if he's ever really proven that he's had that hit tool. He's proven before that he's been able to take the walk and steal the base. Um, but the bat itself has never really uh, come along the way uh, we, we've needed it to. Um, Carter Keeboom is someone who I think 
you know, obviously we saw the strikeouts as a potential problem or a red flag in, in the immediate, in the immediate, but you know, he's 21 years old. Um, as you said, and I think there's a very high likelihood that this is a good player uh, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, he just might need a little bit more time. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe, I think, is the really interesting one. Um, I, I was in a startup dynasty uh, league this year, and Nathaniel Lowe uh, was one of the uh, most controversial players drafted in our minor league draft. Uh, someone was very high on him and, and drafted him fairly early, and, and one of uh, the other owners was shocked uh, that Nathaniel Lowe went so early, despite the fact uh, that he had such a good year last year. I, I think some of the, um, you know, not to put it into a school thought, but some of the old school scouting uh, people that I know aren't, aren't as high on Nathaniel Lowe as some others, uh, to whereas some of the people who, who really like to look at uh, some of the numbers and uh, maybe exit velocities even uh, have become a fan of Nathaniel Lowe. Um, but we'll move on from that. I think one of the bigger stories we have in this uh, new cycle is the activation of Shohei Otani. Um, obviously, he's in this uh, completely unique situation. You know, he is uh, designated as a hitter and a pitcher. Obviously, we don't expect him, or at least I don't believe we expect him to pitch uh, this year. But he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, which has a uh, a very different timeline for a hitter and a pitcher. Um, and, and so for for Otani, he's coming back as a hitter, and, and on that hitter timeline. Um, but he's coming back early for a pitcher. So, so it's this very interesting, unique situation uh, that Shohei Otani and, and the Angels uh, find themselves in. Uh, any, any comments on, on where we are in this Otani situation? Um, you know, either redraft value, what you think he can bring to the table uh, as a utility hitter, uh, high upside utility hitter for, for your offense, uh, or long-term, you know, what do you feel about this Tommy John situation? I believe we've talked about it in the past. Um, but just refresh refresh the audience about uh, this Tommy John situation, and, and if you feel like um, if you feel like it's a good decision for Otani's long term health or not. Yeah, I thought it was a, a little interesting uh, to even get him uh, ready now to even hit because of the fact that you know he, being a, a left handed hitter like he is throws right handed to surgery on his right arm, but, you know, his lead hand is going to, when he's swinging, it's still going to be his right arm. So, you know, I thought that would put a little bit more torque on it that you really don't want. It's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessary if they really truly <clears throat> want him to be a, to get his, uh, to really maximize his potential as a pitcher. Because, I mean, what we saw last year, is no, <clears throat> no question about it. You know, I mean, what we saw in his fastball and the secondary pitches was, Extremely, extremely. Um, um, what's the best way to put it? I, I, I mean, it was, it was, it was great to see. And so for me, here's the thing too. In redraft leagues, I don't know what to expect. I, I stayed away from him uh, for a hitter just because you, you got to remember too. Not only was he coming back from surgery, but he missed all of spring training. That's a lot of different uh, at bats. I know they wanted to get him. I think they said around 30, 35 at bats before he got the call to the major leagues to, to, to DH. Now, okay, that's fine. But, hey, I, I just, you know, for one, I, I can't I can't imagine that the pitchers that he did face when he was getting ready to get called up it was, were, were, were anywhere, I shouldn't say anywhere near, but they weren't the same quality that you're going to see at the major league level. And, you know, for that, it's going to take some time. Remember, coming off surgery, you got you to think about all the rehab he's still doing. He's still rehabbing from time to time, no doubt about it. Like before games, after games, on off days, he's going to be doing that the rest of the season. So with that too, 
Um, and, and, and then, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But, yeah, just getting him ready with that, having to rehab, and then really getting him uh, ready for at-bats during games. It's just it, – it, it's something that just kind of blows my mind. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. And, like I said, redraft league, I was staying away from him. I just don't know what to expect. I can't imagine him being 100% ready to go either as a hitter at this point. Maybe he will over time. Maybe within the next month or two, we will see him getting back to that form that we saw last year uh, uh, batting-wise. But it's going to take time, especially when you miss a whole uh, spring training of at-bats. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, In a number of ways, the Angels, and the Angels even talked about it, but they're playing without a playbook. Uh, when it comes to Shohei Otani, you know, he he does carry the potential of being, uh, for lack of a better terminology, uh, a unicorn in the sport, someone who who's completely uh, rare and unique in their own right. Um, that said, you know, maybe it's just that I'm cautious uh, in, in pitching situations by nature, uh, but as a 24-year-old, I, I really wish they would have given him the extra rehab time and, and, and sat him out. I don't know how much you know, not to make it an argument strictly on war, but I don't know how much, like, war he's going to potentially bring to the table um, as a hitter. I, you know, I kind of get why they're doing it, because they're worried about Mike Trout. But at the same time, I think the second, and maybe Trout feels a different way about it, I don't I don't know, but I think the second you ink Trout to that huge, mega, long-term deal, uh, and you don't have to worry about him walking away in two years, I think you kind of even get a little bit more cautious with Shohei Otani. Like, listen, uh, I don't think anyone, maybe maybe some people in the Angels organization think they have a little bit of a shot. I don't think anyone thinks that this is the Angels' year. Um, but I think quite a few fans, you know, the Angels get, get crapped on, especially, you know, even with the Mike, Mike Trout stuff. Uh, I think a lot of fans who, who know the sport well know that they're building the farm system a lot better than they were at, at the beginning of the Trout era. You know, they, they didn't – produce anybody since trout in like the last six years they've almost exclusively brought almost everyone in that's been significant for their team uh in from other organizations they lost two first round picks by signing uh hamilton and Pujols in back-to-back years both train wrecks of a contract you know we think about those uh contracts in terms of the millions numbers uh but they cost that that organization so much in terms of um you know uh prospect assets because they lost the first round pick for both of those uh, both those transactions, you, you finally have even just, just Joe Adele alone uh, gives you the idea uh, that you're going to have a prospect, uh, a player in the next couple of years um, made from the Angels organization, um, making that ridiculous $500,000 for the first three years of his career. Um, the, you know, that a cost control player that, that can really add to the Angels, and they're almost done with the pool holes window. Um, so, you know, I just feel like I would have taken the conservative route. I, I would have been cautious, and I that's, I think, what makes me shy away from him uh, and made me shy away from him uh, at the beginning of redraft leagues. That said, um, you know, he, he is now healthy and playing, which is different than where we were April 1st. Uh, so I do think his value has uh, potentially r- raised a little bit. Um, one more activation also in the AL West. Uh, I'll let you touch on anything on the Angels if you want to, but I'll also throw out the activation of, of Matt Olson if you want to touch on that as well, first baseman of the Oakland Athletics who uh, injured himself before 28 uh, teams had even uh, thrown a single pitch because he did it uh, in the uh, two-game series that was in Tokyo. Uh, I believe it was a broken hamate bone. I believe it was something in the hand. Uh, but re- regardless, he, he is activated. He is hitting, um, you know, 
like Matt Olson, he he is striking out a little bit, but but seems to be off to a a relatively good start. Uh, a, a 278, 316 uh, average in OBP at least uh, in his first 19 plate appearance, from what I see. So, uh, any, any comments on, on any of those AL West points? No, I thought you brought up a great point in, in, in terms of the value that they have in Otani. I, I mean, you you got to remember this is not only your asset, but this is your investment for the future too. And, and you know, when you bring up his age and how young he is, you really don't want to have to press it, you know, press the issue if you don't need to in terms of getting him back too soon. Now, don't, don't get me wrong; we've seen it in the past. We saw it with Matt Weeters, when, you know, when he had elbow surgery and then you know he, he came back. Uh, with uh, I want to say Washington after surgery signed with them as pre agent, but you know it, it's a little different when you put as much stock as you do uh, into a, a starting pitcher like this that's going to hit and pitch uh, do it both ways like that. So and, and and from what we saw too, I mean, in, in terms of his stuff, we're talking about ace type uh, starting pitcher. He, I mean, his stuff is that good. So yeah, I do find it interesting that they're, they're rushing him back. Oh, I shouldn't say rushing him. I mean, if you, their doctors know if he's ready to hit, he's ready to hit. But still, I, I just wouldn't want to risk anything. There's too much of an investment for me, and especially the high hopes they have with them. Um, now, on the other side too, with Matt Olson, I, I think this is going to be great for the team. They need to get his a bat like his back in the lineup. I mean, look at just a season ago, they were three wins shy of 100 wins, and right now they're sitting in the basement, tied with uh, with the Angels actually in in the American League West. So. You know, this could be a shot in the arm that the team needs. They did get that no-hitter the other night from Mike Fires. So, you know, uh, uh, again, I, I think this is going to be good. He's finally healthy from that heavy bone injury. And I'm looking forward to it for, uh, you know, for fantasy implications too because, you know, he was sitting there on my DL with, or my IL with a bunch of other players too. But And right now too, his price too, if you're looking at a player like Matt Olson, we know what he can bring in terms of power. We've seen it in the past. Right now, too, if you're looking at DFS lineups, his price might be lower just because of the injury. It hasn't caught up yet to what it's eventually going to be. So now might be a a nice time where you could pair him and get him into your DFS lineups, too. So I like those implications with uh, Olsen coming back as well. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, It'll it'll potentially at least shake up the AL West. Hopefully it'll – uh, uh, help the athletics. Um, moving on to a couple different injury situations. Um, we, you know, we've talked about AJ Paul before uh, when the news broke of the injury, uh, but we, we I don't think we've had a timeline until this point. And I saw an official timeline, uh, at least reported by MLB Trade Rumors, uh, uh, and that was, or through MLB Trade Rumors, and that was uh, that he would be out until at least July, it sounds like. Um, any thoughts on this AJ Paul injury, real quick? I don't know if we'll have a lot to add other than that, you know. And we've obviously talked about the injury in the past, but um, obviously a little disappointing if you're a Dodgers fan. Disappointing if you're AJ Paul. This is a guy who um, really does have a lot of talent. Uh, you know, I don't think many people doubt the breakout uh, that he had a few years ago because every time we've seen him, he's been such a good hitter who can, you know, slug the ball uh, at a very underrated, uh, you know, way. But uh, Injuries have really derailed his his career the last few years and uh, ha- have really been uh, a disappointment. Um, anything on AJ Pollock? Yes, uh, I, I mean it, it sucks for fantasy owners. It sucks for the Dodgers. I mean, it, it came back to that dead infection it was a staph infection, and that's serious stuff. And you know, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it David Lee in the NBA? Remember when he took a, what was it, Marcus Camby or Solon's tooth into his forearm and that got infected? I think it, it caused him to miss a significant period of time too. So. 
you know, the infections are, they're, they're tricky because you really need to get it quarantined and, and, and cornered because you do not want that to spread to any other part of the body. You know, you don't want that getting into your organs and making them work uh, uh, overtime, if you will. So it, it's, it's disappointing, but you know, if you look at the Dodgers though, they haven't missed the beat. I mean, if you look at the numbers so far, you see Chris Taylor is finally waking up because he's getting uh, more at-bats than he was. We all know what Verdugo can do. Uh, Max Muncy, God, has he been on fire, too. So, you know, it, it sucks for the Dodgers. But the thing is, I, I mean, this team, they have the depth uh, where, where they're able to really maneuver it. Now, you know, they, they might lose uh, some speed, but I, I would say A.J. Pollock. Uh, you know, we're, we're not seeing him run as much as we used to compared to the past or, or as we have in the past. But, you know, again, it, it's going to be a tricky thing. They really need to get that, that infection uh, uh, cornered and, and dealt with with some antibiotics, too. But if I'm not mistaken, they did do that, that um, uh, exploratory surgery, if you will, to remove that that plate that was in his elbow. Well, well here's the thing, too. You do a surgery like that, you're cutting through muscle and whatnot, you got to wait for that wound site to heal too. So that's added time as well. Then he needs to get back in baseball shape when, or when he is ready to go, you know, and, and get those at-bats. I don't know if they're going to send him to extended spring training. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see him until after the All-Star game. So it, it's, a, it's a definitely a huge blow to fantasy teams and the Dodgers. But, you know, the Dodgers do have that depth where I, I see them. We're already seeing it where they're able to, you know, counteract that and get over the hump. You know, just based on the tone, I didn't read too much into it, but based on the tone of the report, I would imagine that All-Star break uh, is kind of a best-case scenario at this point. sounds like something uh, that they're going to be uh, evaluating him maybe uh, uh, not too far before that um, in a very serious way as either getting a rehab assignment or getting him back to the major leagues. But, you know, as long as the Dodgers continue to, to get some offensive help uh, from their outfield, I, I think – I think they'll be willing to take it slow with him. You know, they didn't make a huge investment, but it is the first year of a new four-year deal. This is the first time AJ Pollock's uh, been on a long-term contract in his career. Uh, so I do think the Dodgers will want to be patient. And, you know, the, the big reason they have him is that they, they feel like they need a right-handed bat in that outfield. Uh, and I think the main reason, if, if you can make the playoffs without him, I, I think the main reason is for the playoffs, uh, for all those left-handed matchups that you're going to get uh, and, and just not wanting to have to stack lefties all the time uh, against some, some tough lefties uh, in the postseason. Uh, but we'll move on to that. One of, I think, the, another one of the more interesting stories, uh, David Price, uh, to the injured list uh, with elbow tendinitis. Uh, very interested with what you think uh, or if you have any thoughts about this injury uh, in terms of both short-term, in terms of uh, what you think the timeline might be. Do you think we'll see him back this year? And if so, uh, do you think we can see him uh, back to 100% or whatever 100% of David Price is now? Um, but also long-term, you know, do you, do you think this is something, you know, he, he's getting up there in age. I, I didn't check his age before we started, but, he, I mean, He's easily on the other side of 30 at this point. Uh, sorry, Mr. Price, but uh, any any thoughts on this elbow tendonitis, uh, Kyle? It's concerning because we've already seen him uh, miss time uh, when he's dealing with an elbow injury in the past. And, you know, there, there was, it did show up when he had that MRI that there was a little bit of fraying in the ligament of his UCL. And, you know, that, that's one of the things you're, you're going to hear. When you have an MRI done and you've played baseball, no matter how much of time, if you've thrown a baseball, more than likely you're going to have some kind of 
wear and tear in that, that UCL. And, you know, they, so you, you're always going to hear that no matter who has an MRI. But the fact is, you know, just a few seasons ago, he had the horrendous season. There was elbow issues he dealt with. And like you mentioned, with his age, too, I mean, he, he is 33 years old. So it's not like he's over the hill. But, you know, he, he got, for an elbow injury like that, it's concerning because say say this does turn into something more because what do we usually hear when people have uh, go on to have Tommy John surgery? We hear, you know, tendonitis in, uh, in, in the triceps or, you know, elbow inflammation like that, tendonitis in the elbow. And, you know, that's your body's way of trying to protect it, especially when you, you have that, that, that wear and tear in the elbow. So it is concerning for, for the short term. I mean, you're going to have to wait and see. We're going to have, you know, if he's going to be on the anti-inflammatories or you're really going to watch it, you're going to see them using a lot of, a lot of ice on that elbow and, and then heat to stretch it out. But at the same time, the long-term thing too, if this doesn't subside, how efficient can he be? I mean, if you look at it right now, I, I mean, his numbers aren't by any means awful. You know, he's, he's, he's I felt like he's, he's done a, a good job and he's given them a chance to win. And, you know, he, it's one thing that he's always – done a great job is he's always for however long he's pitched so this uh year 12 now he doesn't walk a lot of batters you know and we've always expected those high strikeouts but you look at the innings pitch too i mean that is a lot of of wear and tear and he's close to 2,000 innings in his career and you know last year too he had 176 in the regular season but then you go into that that playoff push and i mean that guy was on a mission so it's a lot of wear and tear it's it can be a concern if it doesn't subside, say, within the next two weeks. That would be concerning. But at the same time, too, when you throw that many uh, innings like you did after after battling uh, uh, the elbow injury uh, the, the season prior, you're going to see that. You're going to see some dead arm, especially early in the season. All pitchers go into it. Usually it's more in the shoulder and not the elbow. But, again, it'll be something to monitor. And, I mean, that would be the worst-case scenario would be for him to – say somehow needed Tommy John surgery, that would be awful. But I'd say two weeks, they'll probably reevaluate it, see how he's feeling. But I, I just I think this is more of just a little bit of a, a dead arm after as many innings as he pitched in, in the postseason last year. Yeah, you know, I think there's positives and negatives when you, when you look at the David Price situation. You know, he's 33 years and eight months. He'll turn 34 uh, during the season. Um He's, he's also pitched quite a few innings uh, in his career, and, and what we've seen in terms of trends is a trend towards uh, fewer innings pitched, fewer fewer innings pitched per start. Um, his, his best days, I think most people, pretty much everybody would, would agree, uh, are behind him, uh, at least in terms of a consistent 30 starts over the course of the season basis, uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe touching, tapping into something for one start. On the other side, I think if you even, you know, build a time machine profile back to David Price, 27 years old. I think a lot of the things you could say about him is this guy is a guy who's built to age. I think that's the reason that the Red Sox put so much money into him for the reasons that uh, I think, like like you allude to, uh, very good with limiting walks. He's always had good movement on his pitches. He's always been a good pitcher with a good pitching mindset. Uh, he's always featured a changeup as well as an assortment of pitches uh, and seemed to know how to get hitters out, for lack of a better uh, phrasing, just, just being a good pitcher. And I think that's what we see. You know, he did have that one bad year, or or at least one year that wasn't up to his career standards. But you know, throughout his career, uh, he's been far from from terrible uh, at the most part. You know, three nine nine, I believe, is the peak ERA. So even when we were you know talking about him him being 
bat. He had a 3.99 ERA. He's had a 3.38 and a 3.58. Um, so you know, David Price has continued to be uh, a solid pitcher, and I think it's because of of these these traits that help him to age well. Um, so you know, it, it's just you can look at it both ways. If he can get back to healthy, I think he has the right traits. But even if he's not uh, 100% of his former self, as we've seen the last three years, really, that he can continue to be uh, a consistent. Uh, and, and an executing pitcher that, that executes, gets things done, gets guys out. Um, but on the reverse side of things, uh, the continued in, elbow injuries have to, you know, make you give you pause and, and make you worry a little bit. A um, couple more starting pitchers, both on the same team. Uh, one was added a little late uh, to this list, but Jason Vargas and Steven Matz, uh, both hitting the injured list in the last couple of days. Uh, the Mets, I believe, traded for or in some way acquired uh, Wilmer Font, who uh, pitched somewhere uh, elsewhere this season. Uh, he uh, looks to take at least one of the, the spots uh, in this rotation. Uh, any, any thoughts on on this Mets situation? Any of the uh, limbs of this stick out to you? I, I mean, there's always going to be concerns, especially for a team that, you know, puts a lot of eggs in the basket of their starting rotation. And, I mean, what we've seen with Noah Syndergaard, too, you know, we've seen him struggle uh, at times. And that's, you know, when you draft, especially in fantasy, when you draft a guy like him, you expect him to be your ace. But at times, he's been hittable. He's been wild. His fastball, regardless of how hard he throws, it's been flat. There hasn't been a whole lot of movement. So that's concerning. You know, uh, Jacob DeGrom's already went on, uh, undergone an MRI this season, you know, with, with but I was feeling a little, a little, uh, just uh, how should I put it? Just feeling, feeling something in that elbow of his. So uh, again, whenever barking. you see a team that puts it, what's that? Oh, just the Mets called it barking. There you go. There you go. Yes, they said his elbow was barking, and that's never, that's never a, a good sign. It's always concerning. So I mean, this is something to pay attention to because uh, again, they put as much stock as they have in, in that starting rotation. So you've got the ground, Syndergaard. Wheeler, and then you see Matt, who's, you know, at times, again, I feel like it's been a little bit of a roller coaster with him, too. We've seen him at times have great stuff, almost looking like like ace-type stuff. But then, on the other hand, too, we've seen absolute games where he's been blown up. But on the season, too, his numbers have been absolutely, or I shouldn't say absolutely, but they've been good. You're talking about a guy, 386 ERA, with not too bad at 1.2, which we can live with. But, you know, for the most part, I, I feel at times when he has been getting hurt, it's been getting hurt with a long ball with guys on base. And, you know, I, I've said this in the past. So you can give up home runs, that's fine, but you can't have guys on base. But, you know, uh, uh, again, the one thing about Steven Matz, too, he's going to throw strikes, throws a lot of strikes, and he doesn't walk guys. He's had 32, uh, 32 to 9 strikeouts uh, to walk uh, on the season. So it, it, it's, he's going to be missed. Again, and, you know, one of the things that I'm looking for is having Vargas on the I.L., having Matt, or, uh, excuse me, Matt's go to the uh, I.L., will they look at, at other options, too? You, you mentioned they brought in Pot. Will they look at Seth Lugo? I mean, I, I feel like they they really love having him in that, that bullpen, um, but at the same time, if they need to call or get him into that, that starting role, he, he reminds me a lot of uh, – uh, Ross Stripling for LA, you know, they, they do that both, you know, they stretch them out as starters to have them in the bullpen get spot starts here and there. But again, one of the things that makes me a little nervous with this, with Steven Matz is, you know, there's radial nerve discomfort. So it's, it's an elbow thing with him. And again, 
when it's a pitcher and there's some kind of discomfort or injury to an elbow, it's always concerning because, you know, we always immediately, when we think elbow injury, we're always going to think Tommy John's surgery, you know, even if that's not the case. But, you know, it's concerning. And, and again, a team that puts as much stock into their starting rotation as the Mets have and do and are, it's always going to be a concern when you hear a starting pitcher's one on the I.L. Yeah, you know, uh, you mentioned how much the, these Mets put into their uh, their starting rotation. Um, they've gotten great starts so far this year out of especially Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, uh, the, these players that that have come up through their organization. Um, but you know, they, they've cooled down a little bit coming into May. Uh, McNeil's still hitting for a very high average, but you know, to compare OPS, his April OPS was 9.25 to date his May OPS is 7.59 and that does still come with a 3.13 batting average so he's still doing it essentially right around what we expect him to do and he has three multi-hit games in May already so McNeil's been solid but but not as spectacularly as he was in April um Pete Alonso I don't think he's you know necessarily a long-term problem in any way or shape or form um but he did have a 9.85 OPS in April down to a 6.49 uh, in May, 219 average, 242 on base percentage uh, in these first eight games. So uh, Pete Alonso cooling off a bit. Um, the Mets offense, you know, needing to pick it up maybe a, a bit. Robinson Cano uh, certainly hasn't uh, come through in, in a major way, at least consistently for the Mets yet. Uh, he was obviously a, a, a big uh, investment for this team uh, in the off season. Um couple closing situations. Uh, Sean Kelly, who I think was the favorite to replace Jose Leclerc in Texas, uh, hit the injured list recently. Um, uh, Chase Martin, I believe, is who got, maybe it's Chris Martin, um, uh, but uh, got the save uh, in Texas. Um, It registers as C.H. Martin, if you're looking. Um, Pedro Strope also hit the injured list. You and I are both Cubs fans. He's been filling in for the presumed starter if he ever does get healthy, Brandon Morrow. Um, Strope has struggled a bit this this season, um, but but being on the injured list obviously makes it official that someone else uh, is going to get save opportunities in Chicago. Uh, no one got one today in a 4-1 game. They just let Montgomery finish the entire game. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, uh, they let uh, Ryan start start the ninth, I believe, and then Ciszek ended up blowing the save afterward. Um, but it was a, a an, odd, an odd situation because he blew the save without a single earned run. Um, a, a wild pitch and a ground out uh, allowed his inherited runner to score. Um, wh- what do you think about, or, or do you think there's a, a big uh, thing that sticks out for you about either of these closing situations between the Texas Rangers and the Chicago Cubs? Yeah. I think one of the more interesting things is really none of them really have that closer in waiting. You know, Joe had known during his articles, you know, he hits on that often where, you know, who's next up, who's next up. But I, I feel like the Rangers, who, who you, or, and the Cubs too, for that matter, who is next in line to get those saves? And, you know, you and I both talked about this on, on Reddit earlier in the week. You know, we said, you know, with Leclerc too, I mentioned, you know, I can see him just giving maybe two or three appearances clean, a clean innings pitch, and then he'll go right back in that role because he's he's not really he doesn't have anyone like at his heels to take over that. And at the same time, when we were talking earlier in the week, talking about the Cubs too, seeing how well Chet, Tyler Chatwood 
his pitch style of the bullpen. I understand they're paying him a, a pretty good chunk of money there to be a starting pitcher, but it just didn't work out. And what we've seen out of the bullpen, you're seeing him get in there. He, he comes in throwing 95 to 97 miles an hour. Well, when we talk about a closing pitcher, what do we want? We want swing and miss stuff. I don't feel that either of those teams, the Rangers or the Cubs, have other guys that can come in and, and, and do that. They have that electric fastball to get swings and misses. So I wouldn't be surprised that if over time, you know, the Cubs do give Chatwood a look at it. And who knows, maybe that that's what they need. And I, I get it. It's probably a money thing, too, where you don't want to, you know, uh, see starting pitching money go to the closing role. But if it, if it means winning ball games and, and, and making that push into the playoffs, especially with who knows, Brandon Morrow, he – who knows? He may never pitch again for all we know. That's the way I feel about it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Chatwood uh, gets a look. And the thing is, I think he's better situated for that, too, to be honest with you. I mean, he's not a big guy. And to get that 95 to 97-mile-an-hour fastball, that is a lot That is a lot of work you're putting in that. That's a lot of torque you're doing. You're really putting a lot of effort into that pitch. Well, if you give him that ninth inning, one inning, he goes out there and you just give it all you got, that's what you want on your closer. It might be interesting to see as it might work out well for a guy like Tyler Chatwood. Yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned Leclerc. I thought about mentioning Jose Leclerc of the Texas Rangers. Obviously came into the season with very high expectations. I had incredibly high expectations for him. And I got that question a lot uh, on Reddit about about what I would do with Jose Leclerc or, or how how soon I think his proximity is to get the job back. Um, and that's just such a hard question for me to answer right now because I simultaneously believe uh, a couple different things, such as I believe last year he was really good and not lucky, and this year I believe he's been really bad and not unlucky, you know, to, to the point where I'm saying he's earned both uh, his positives and his negatives. You know, I think he, he's not getting unfortunate. I think he's been genuinely bad this year, and I think he needs to genuinely, you know, figure some things out to potentially uh, uh, get to where he needs uh, to be. Um if I'm, you know, a member of the Texas Rangers uh, decision-making in terms of the closer situation, would it take that much if I was truly convinced he had gotten, you know, his vibe back to put him – would it take me that long to put him back up there? No, not really. Um, but at the same time, you know, we need to see that. If we don't see that, if we continue to see uh, poor command, poor control – uh, and bad numbers as we move forward, uh, you know, I think they're going to just keep going to other people uh, and, and try to figure it out, you know. Um, they've made the investment already on Leclerc. They've signed him to that extension, so so they're uh, on the hook for him. Uh, I think they want him to be that closer as soon as possible. That's the whole reason they signed that, that, that contract in the first place. Um, so I think they want him to get there. Um, but, you know, talent-wise is the wrong way to phrase it, but, um, you know, performance-wise, as he's playing right now, he, he's not – you know, ready to earn that job. He needs to start playing better. Uh, he needs to, to string together the dominant performances um, and make the bad performances fewer and farther between. Uh, and we haven't necessarily, maybe not given him enough time to see it, but, you know, we still need to see that moving forward. Um, I'm glad you have uh, the same level of optimism with Brandon Morrow as I do uh, in that every time someone asks me a question about Brandon Morrow, uh, either in regards to another Cubs reliever or in regards to Brandon Morrow himself, I'm just, I don't know, like maybe, maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. You know, I mean, he's just always injured. Um, you know, before he even got injured going into the season or before it was even clear that he wasn't going to be ready for April 1st, um, I think there was a genuine sentiment that this guy's injured every season for a period of time. So 
uh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that, that he's consistently been having these setbacks. So, you know, in the interim, uh, especially with the way that the closer position is, is so variable, I'm just not, you know, if I have a deep IL uh, and it's the type of league where I'm going to need saves, obviously I think Brandon Morrow uh, might be worth uh, an IL stash uh, in a league like that. But for the most part, until he's taking rehab assignments, knocking on the door, and, and coming back up to the majors tomorrow, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, ignoring him in the situation. Um, I think Chatwood's interesting because he's always had that high ground ball rate. If he can find a way to channel things and get, get his home run rate down, uh, he could potentially add uh, some things that you want to see at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, selfishly, I've been a C-Sheck fan starting at the beginning of the year. Uh, he was used a, uh, a lot by, by Madden last year, obviously, in inherited runner-stranded situations. Uh, didn't get that first save opportunity, but I, I was glad that he seemed to at least be uh, a guy that was being saved potentially for the end of the game. Uh, I hope I hope that that one bad performance doesn't uh, take Madden away from it, again, selfishly from me. But I, I think Steve Ciszek could be the next man up in Chicago, and, and I think he – uh, has a chance of, of doing pretty well in the role. He, he's been building faith uh, with Madden the last couple of years, and, and he had uh, a pretty good ERA last year. But um, one last note before we move on, kind of a smaller note uh, in terms of fantasy value. One of these guys is uh, interesting uh, simply because he plays the, the position where no one is interesting. But uh, the Giants make two IL moves today, putting both Buster Posey, uh, catcher, and Drew Pomerantz, starting pitcher, on the IL. Uh, any thoughts on, on these guys before we uh, hit the May trends? I, I mean, I, I really don't have a, a whole lot of input to say on that. I, I, I wish that Posey still had that catching eligibility, but obviously, you know, most likely he doesn't. But, I mean, I think we're going to see that. I get he's only 32 years old, but I think we're finally starting to see uh, that wear and tear, you know, on him from catching all those years. And then in college, too, for the most part. But, you know, in terms of that, I don't have a whole lot of input on him and Pomeran. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the way I feel about it, too. Like I said, um, you know, Posey, Posey, the only thing that ever makes him interesting at this point of his career is, is the ability to be a catcher. Um, you know, do I think he could potentially be a, a better player, especially in terms of fantasy numbers, if he moved venues? Absolutely. Uh, I think he still has a good K to BB. Uh, he hasn't been generating a lot of power this year, um, but I still think he, he has a solid ability uh, to make contact and drive the ball. But AT&T is just such a horrible park to age in. It's a horrible park to age in uh, uh, in terms of power especially. Uh, we haven't seen Posey be able to hit for power. Uh, Drew Pomerantz, I thought, was an interesting late, late round flyer because no one seemed to be interested in him. And it wasn't that long ago that he was a pretty solid pitcher uh, across a couple of leagues uh, uh, with the Padres, with the Red Sox. Um, and obviously, it's it's great to be a Giants pitcher for the same reason that that that, that park negates home runs so much. Um, but I mean, it's you know, if, if you were like me and were high on Pomerantz as a potential flyer, you're still dropping him. Um, I don't see many leagues where. Uh, what Pomerantz has shown you today gives you a, a ton of faith. Um, might be interesting to pick up when he gets back healthy. Again, I think he was a little slept on coming into the year, but he's also a guy who's consistently struggled with injuries, so uh, not someone I, I'm particularly waiting on for, for any particular reason. But uh, we'll move on to some, some May numbers and trends. Um, 
you know, I, I looked through some of these May numbers because it, it's a very small sample size, but um, I think some of the, the hot names especially are guys that I like to look into uh, when I'm, I'm going into the, uh, the weekly numbers because, you know, if you started April hot, those numbers when the sample size is still low in general, six or seven weeks for the whole season, um, if you've cooled down, it might not even uh, stand out in your numbers quite yet. We, we as fantasy owners might not even know it yet. Um, so I, I wanted to look at some of that, try to find some of those. Um, you know, one thing that stood out to me first off, um, I'll hit this first off because we're both Cubs fans. Um, the Cubs have been red hot to start this May. Um, they're back to the top of the division. Um, had a one-game lead, I believe, going into today. Three of the Cubs uh, are in the top seven for May OPS. Four are in the top 12. Uh, Chris Bryant uh, is red hot right now, number one in OPS for May. Uh, uh, Wilson Contreras, nothing like he's been last year. That was an interesting one for me uh, in in the guys that I said earlier because, you know, red hot April, uh, even though it's a small sample size, the small sample size is corroborating that April. Uh, he's absolutely locked in right now. Javier Baez way up there, uh, and Anthony Rizzo. 12th in OPS. Uh, those are the four in the top 12. So uh, any thoughts on, on how this Cubs team has been looking in, in the early May, especially on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think uh, specifically with Brian Contreras too, I mean, they're both healthy and you're, and you're, you're seeing that. And, you know, we did see Brian struggle, you know, uh, he hit that home run the first game of the season, but then he, he, we saw a lot of signs of struggle. I think I thought he was missing pitches that he normally hits. And, you know, with him, I think it was more of a confidence thing. I know we, we talked about the shoulder last season. We talked about it in the off season. We've, we've talked about it even while he was struggling here. But I, I really, truly think that that shoulder was healthy. I think it was more of just a confidence thing. When you're when you're a hitter like that, you remember it. You remember everything. You, regardless, if you're an athlete in general, you're going to remember those things. And they say, you know, put it behind you, put it behind you. But the, the thing is, when you struggled and you, you're coming off a season where I, I wanted to get what 50 home runs on a year, and we're talking about a former MVP like that, it, it, it it's really tough to get over that. And you think like, man, am I going to be like this? For the rest of my career is it's going to be something like so you start to press you start to stress like that and you and you bring it up during your at bats but finally we're seeing it he had what four straight games with a home run prior to today so that's good to see him healthy he knows he can do it and i thought one of the most interesting things was sunday night alex rodriguez said this at bat for bryant right here is huge the cubs are already blowing uh st louis out i think it was what an eight run lead at the time bases were loaded he goes but this is going to be a confidence thing for him let's see how he reacts no pressure. The Cubs are already winning. It's late in the game. It's not a big deal. What happens next pitch? Grand slam. So it's just a confidence thing. He's finally rolling. On the other side, too, with Wilson Contreras, you got to remember last season there was two different stints where he was dealing with a calf injury. You know, and when, and when you're sitting behind the plate like that in the crouch position, any kind of lower body injury like that, it's going to flare up at times, especially if it gets cold. Because it's still cold during night games, especially out in Chicago, Minnesota. You know, those northern states, it's not extremely warm yet. If you're playing the night games, it, it, it does affect you. But we're seeing Contreras healthy. It, it, it's definitely helped that, you know, they have spent those uh, games. They've already had a series out in, in Miami, too. So, you know, that's good. And I, I think everyone is just feeling on this team. And, you know, I truly believe Rizzo may be the captain of this team, but I think the energy – that Baez brings. I think it's energy that we're not even seeing in the clubhouse, too. I think everyone's feeling that. 
and you know he, he's getting that 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 Latin flair with these guys and everyone's feeling it, and they're just all doing it. It's all falling in line. So now if their pitching can just come together, I I think this team and you know what I really truly like too. I don't think there is any kind of pressure with them. If you listen to a lot of the broadcasts out there, listen online on the radio on TV. When when you hear people talking about the the top teams in baseball, you hear Houston, you hear Boston, you hear the Dodgers, you hear the Yankees, but very rarely the Cubs are like the, one of the last teams they're talking about in the top five, six, seven teams. So well, that's fine. That takes all the pressure out. Well, now they're able to put it together. They're feeling good, and and like you said, they're, they they're out of they're they really you know they started slow, but they started. What, I think they would they get up to seven or eight games. In a row, they won, so they're really starting to put it together now. Yeah, when you look at Chris Bryant right now, uh, a lot of the beneath the hood stuff is looking really, really good. I think he might have actually had another home run today. Um, Fangrass has him with two walks and no strikeouts today, getting his walk to strikeouts up to 25 to 28. Uh, 16.1% to 18.1%. I mean, those numbers are phenomenal. Uh, 274 isolated power. The 267 BABIP is uh, lower than you would expect for his career. Um, 394, so his OB, or OBP at 394, so that's right back uh, near where you'd expect it. You know, um, Yes, he only played 100 games last year, but, uh, you know, Putting in terms of F war, uh, Fangraphs war, he had 2.3 F war last year. Uh, his first three years in the big, he had 6.1, 7.8, and 6.7. So I mean, even if you extend that uh, 2.3, add another 50% of it, uh, you're still at about 3.4, which is uh, essentially saying he was half the player than he was that he was uh, between 2015 and 2017. Um, so it's good that we're seeing uh, these signs that he's at least getting the power back. You know, the power was what was uh, largely absent last year. I mean, he's over. 50% of his home run total from last year right now. Last year, he only hit 13 home runs in those 100 games. You know, Again, early in the season, but he's at 7 already. That's, that's more than halfway to that pace. So, uh, excited to see um, if he can continue to, to keep it going as a Cubs fan. Three of the names that stuck out to me the most when I was sorting by OPS in May uh, in terms of players that were uh, either undrafted or drafted late um, who had very strong Aprils and have not stopped hitting in May uh, in terms of being some of the best hitters in baseball, honestly, uh, are Hunter Dozier, uh, my boy Jorge Polanco, uh, and Dwight Smith Jr. Um, so uh, would, would you like to uh, – uh, do you have anything to put out there on any of those players, any of those names stick out to you as uh, intriguing uh, breakout performers or potential breakout performers uh, in 2019? Yeah, I think especially for Hunter Dozier – not only, you know, just getting the everyday at-bats like he is, but, you know, keeping that, that strikeout rate at a respectable rate. I mean, it's only 23% where, you know, in his minor leagues, uh, in his minor league career, I think he was closer to that 30, 35 range, uh, 35% uh, K rate there. So, you know, seeing that, and, and for me, what I really, really liked about him is he's taking the walks, too. I know you you hit on that, too, uh, you know, guys are uh, – you know, they, they might strike out here, but they're taking walks. Well, you know, he's keeping that in check. He does have a high rate, uh, a walk rate, too. And, and, and that's something I don't feel we've seen uh, with him in the minor league. So, uh, again, you could talk – I mean, he is 27 years old. Last year, you know, it was really a, a more of a, a, a fuller season at, at 26. So, he's a little bit older, you know, uh, in, in terms of his first three years in the majors. So, he might have a little bit better plate discipline than we've seen from other – uh, guys, when they get their call up, like uh, talking about like Carter Keebo, 
uh, for instance, or or uh, Nathaniel Lowe, uh, for that matter. So I, I like what I've seen. I mean, you 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 brought this up, you know, every week. Jorge Polanco. I mean, there, there's really nothing you know negative to see, say about him. He's getting and he's just doing damage. It does not matter who he's facing. He is just absolutely crushing the ball, and I, I really like that. Now, Dwight Smith. By far, by far, one of the uh, uh, best stories, especially off the uh, the waiver wire this season. But it, it, it's interesting because coming into this season, if there's two teams uh, in the AL, I was expecting to do nothing. I would say Baltimore, and then I would say Detroit. But you do find guys on these these teams that you know you got to give someone the at bats. You got to give someone the playing time. And you know Dwight Smith's just running away with it. I mean, he's been a pleasant surprise. I didn't. I, I don't think we'd ever expect him to. You know, uh, through this part, six home runs, six home runs, 23 RBI. So, with him, if you look at his minor league stats, too, throughout the minors, he, he never hit 20 home runs in, in the minors. And he's on pace to, to get that right now if he stays on this. The most he's ever hit prior to that was 15 home runs back in 2016, and that was in AA. So, um, yeah, again, I, I don't know how much stock to put into a guy like Dwight Smith, Jr., Again, 26 years old, so he he's been around in the minor leagues for quite some time since 2012. But I mean, it's a great story for him. But I mean, Hunter Dozier, he's always been uh, back to him real quick, a guy that was always one of the the uh, a top ten prospect at his position at third base. But again, Stockus was there. You couldn't put him at first because of Hosmer. So you're seeing that finally gets the playing time, and you know it, it, it's just been a great story. But uh, again, with him. I just I don't I don't know if we will see that uh, stick right now where he's at keeping those home runs in check because again that's what I talked about in the minor league that was one of his Achilles heels power was always there but uh, again the strikeouts but I'd imagine over time and you know, as the summer progresses Dwight Smith Jr. we might see those numbers come back down or I should say it will come down I don't know just the same way I don't know if we'll have an OPS over a thousand by season's end but right now he's hot and you got to keep him in your lineup. Yeah, Hunter Dozier and Dwight Smith Jr. I think were were undrafted in in the vast majority of leagues. Maybe drafted in some deeper leagues. Um, both these players seem kind of like flyers. Dwight Smith Jr. intrigues me just from the the sheer standpoint that, and I don't mean to knock uh, the former GM uh, of the Baltimore Orioles, but for the last few years, this organization has not been the kind of team who goes out and finds players on the cheap. You know, if they bring in a player, it's we just paid. Mark Trumbo, a Mark Trumbo, a three or four year contract, and uh, you know things of that nature. We just, you know, added Giovanni Gallardo and Wade Miley to our starting rotation. Um, I think what we're seeing now, you know, with Mike Elias and this new regime, is uh, we're finally seeing some of the signs that uh, this team is going to be able to turn it around and start to find some of these guys. You know, I don't know what they they saw or if maybe they just got lucky. Uh, in what Dwight Smith Jr. has given them so far this year, but um, certainly that's something that uh, Orioles fans, you know, maybe, maybe you just say that they uh, shotgunned it, sprayed it out because they had no one in the, on their major league roster and they had a lot of shots at it. Um, but, you know, getting these unnamed players as an Orioles fan is something I don't think you've gotten the last few years. And I, I think you've got to be, uh, despite the overall trend of the team, I think you have to feel pretty good about, uh, the way someone like Dwight Smith Jr. can be found uh, on the cheap for your organization. That's something that 
uh, the Orioles fans haven't been used to recently. Anyone who follows my work knows that I've been a huge Jorge Polanco fan uh, dating back to the offseason. He was the number 90 player uh, on my uh, preseason ranking list. I believe he was like about 220 in terms of ADP. But that said, I mean, I didn't see this coming. I mean, one of the things I really liked in him, uh, among all others, was that uh, he seemed to really nail four-seam fastballs, which is something that I really like because a lot of pitchers really rely on that four-seam fastball, specifically just being able to get it over the plate, get it over for a strike, um, get ahead of, get ahead and count. And I think when you can uh, both slug fastballs really well um, and, and have a, a limited whiff percentage on fastballs, uh, I think th- that combination can make you uh, a very hard to get out hitter um, because it makes a hitter, or excuse me, it makes a pitcher uh, need to go to his quality secondary offer- offerings to get somebody out. Um, I mean, we've seen Jorge Polanco do that so far this season. The only real difference is that he's gone from uh, really uh, strong against four seam fastballs to like absolutely incredible against four-seam fastballs. I mean, in 46 at-bats so far this year, according to Brooks, he's got four home runs, five doubles, and two triples on four-seamers. Uh, that equates to a 370 batting average and 826 slugging percentage uh, at one point this year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he still is. Uh, he was the best hitter in baseball on pitches higher than 95 miles per hour. He seems to have uh, very quick hands, very quick wrists, um, comes from both sides of the plate. Um, And I think what we're seeing with Jorge Polanco is pitchers are showing an increased willingness to to junk ball him, uh, uh, a decreased willingness to throw fastballs. They're afraid of throwing those fastballs. Um, But the good news is, despite the fact that all of my conversation deals with how good he is on four-seam fastballs, he's been a very solid uh, hitter on off-speed stuff. He had a five-hit game yesterday, including a home run and a double. Um, A double and two of those singles came off of secondary pitches. He had two hits on fastballs, three hits on off-speed pitches. Um, at, at the last calculation by Brooks Baseball, um, he had 20 hits and 63 at-bats so far this year on off-speed pitches. It's a 317 batting average. So, you know, 317 on non-fastballs um, makes you feel pretty confident that, you know, this this guy's a guy who, who dominates certain pitch types but can also hit everything. Uh, I've watched him work a lot of deep, deep, deep plate appearances, getting into a lot of deep counts, uh, fighting off a lot of pitches. His home run uh, was on uh, an at-bat that he started behind 0-2, worked it back to 3-2, and homered on, I believe, the eighth pitch uh, of that at-bat. The only thing I really need to see him do is continue to improve on the right side, uh, hitting against left-handers. He's hit against a lot of righties so far this year. I feel like every time I watch him play, and I know there's more righties than lefties, but I feel like every time I watch him play, uh, he's hitting from the left side of the, the plate. Uh, need to see more from from the right side of the plate. Uh, last uh, yesterday, he got one at bat uh, from the right side of the plate, and it was a hit, obviously, as that was a five for five game, and it was a really solid hit. But you know, four of those five hits again came from the left side of the plate. So uh, that's the one thing I want to see Jorge Polanco do moving forward, even out that split a little bit more. But I mean, right now against right-handed pitchers, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and. Uh, I mean, if you're basing it off of April and May, it's hard to argue he isn't. He's top 10 in war and WRC plus and in a lot of other advanced metrics. Uh, a shortstop hitting this good obviously has to be. Um, so, you know, Jorge Polanco is a guy who I think still uh, doesn't quite get uh, the respect that he deserves so far this year. Um, the other thing I looked at, uh, players in the bottom 30 in May OPS, um, some of these guys were strugglers. Some of these guys were not uh, to start in April. Um, Brandon Nimmo, bottom 30 OPS. He struggled quite a bit out of the gate, struck out quite a bit, um, seemed to seemed to turn around a little bit, um, 
but so far in, in May, not off to a very hot start. Uh, Ramon Laureano, player that I was very high on coming into the off season or coming into the season, but I was high on him because of the variability and the fact that I think he still does have a very high upside. I think this is a guy who could hit 20 home runs and who could steal 30 bases uh, on a seasonal level uh, pretty consistently at some point in his career with a great arm and defense in center field. That said, he definitely has clear flaws, and those clear flaws were evident coming into the season. Um, but Loriano continues to struggle, uh, at least in terms of OPS, uh, in May. Uh, Trey Mancini, interesting name to find on, on this OPS list. Uh, definitely dominated April. Maybe just a little bit of a cool start. Um, I definitely don't think, you know, that's the thing about ebbs and flows in the season. I don't think Mancini was as good as he was in April. So maybe this is a bit of an adjustment. Uh, I definitely think he, he's improved a little bit, and, and I think he can turn on more pitches for more power uh, with the decent average he's shown in, in the past for his career. Um, but someone who's struggling right now, uh, to say the least. Uh, Max Kepler, another guy who I think's raised his value so far this year, uh, start um, leadoff hitter for the Twins. Uh, I think is a lot of that Twins top five in, in a lot of major categories like WOBA, WRC plus right now. So if he can keep leading off against righties, uh, despite the fact he's struggling right now, Kepler's pretty interesting to me still. Uh, Enrique Hernandez, uh, someone that a lot of people were into. Uh, at the start of the season, I think the real concern with him is, you know, does he keep the primary second base role if he continues to struggle? Uh, and then Tim Anderson, um, I, you know, I love Tim Anderson as a swagger, uh, as a baseball player, um, for the way he plays the game in that capacity. But I don't love Tim Anderson for the way he plays the game in terms of strikeouts and walks. It uh, doesn't walk, strikes out a lot. Uh, starting to see his, his numbers deflate from that really hot April. Um, any of these storylines stick out to you? Uh, what are the ones that, that stick out to you the most? Or any, any Anything on these guys? Yeah, I mean, early in May, I mean, there was going to be a little bit of regression there for Trey Mancini. I think that was expected. And, I mean, if, if you look at the breakdown, too, like you mentioned, I mean, he was awfully hot uh, in March and April. So I think that is expected, and we are seeing it. But, I, I, I mean, I, again, with him, it's just going to take a little bit of time. You're, you're going to see that. And he is only uh, – this is only his third season, too. So there are going to be a little bit of room for growth here and adjustments to be made. But, you know, I don't I – don't, I don't, I'm not going to pay too much uh, – or, or, or buy too much into the struggle because I think that was going to be expected after that. Just I mean, he, he started – he was just on a, a blistering start to the season. Now, with Enrique Hernandez, too – Started off extremely hot, but I, I feel like this is a trend we've seen throughout his career where you do you see spurts like that, like a, a little bit of a roller coaster at times, where you do see you know there'll, there'll be a, a ten game span where he just absolutely crushes it, and then there'll be a, another the opposite ten yard the next ten games where he falls off the face of the earth, and I, I think that's to be expected. But like you said too, is he going to hold on to that job? Are they going to give you know other looks to guys like? Um, uh, Chris Taylor, or they, they also do. I mean, uh, Gavin Lux in, in their minor league system, too. He's just about ready to get a call here shortly. I, I may not be this season, but, you know, he, he's starting to make his way up the minor leagues, and, and that's another guy, you know, to, to pay attention to the likes of him. Shortstop, but probably not going to see him ever play there with, with Seager there. But, again, I, I think that was um, – something that I've, I've seen throughout his career with Hernandez where it is a little bit of a roller coaster at times. He's hot and then he's not. But uh, Loriano for me, I think out of all these players, Tim Anderson, like you said, I, I, I'm a big fan of him. The struggles are, are are there, and he has shown you know that he 
he can't strike out at a, a clip, and that is pretty un, uh, undesirable. But uh, Loriano, uh, again, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy too much into the whole sophomore slump. But I think at times he he does look overmatched, especially with secondary pitches or or letting pitchers get ahead of you in that count. You know, and it, it, as a batter like that, you can't let that happen at the major league level, especially when you're you know, when you're facing these guys that throw as hard as they do. Well. Here's the thing, too. With him being as young as he is, if he's getting a, uh, behind an account, let's say he gets two strikes on him. I don't care if it's 0-2, and 1-2. and two, He's going to start thinking. That's just the way it is for any young hitter like that. And, and once you start thinking like that, uh, it, more than likely, you, you've already struck out. You, you've already got them out. You've already given the advantage to the pitcher. The thing is, a lot of times, that's fine. You can look fastball if you want, but you got to be able to react to that off-speed pitches. Sometimes I think he's already made up his mind that it's going to be uh, um, uh, a fastball, so he is out in front of off-speed pitches. So it's going to be room. Uh, you know, it's gonna, there is going to be some uh, b- uh, bumps and bruises because again, his first year was last year, and it wasn't even an entire full season of at bats. But you know, they got to get him going. And, and you know, as we mentioned too earlier. In the show, getting Matt Olson too is going to help them, you know, get uh, or get that bat in the lineup where they can make up for some uh, uh, lesser production from Loriano and some other guys in the lineup. Yeah, you know, the thing about Loriano, you know, all of his numbers are terrible right now in terms of batting average, OBP, slugging percentage, but Fangraph still has this guy at a positive WAR, and you know, I mean, that makes sense. I mean. Center field's one of the most important defensive positions. He plays it so well. He's stolen so many outs uh, with assists so far this year. Um, not not many outfielders can claim um, that, but he's definitely been a disappointment. You know, uh, you mentioned sophomore slump. You know, my opinion on the sophomore slump is always uh, pretty simple, and it's just that to me it depends on if you see something in a profile that says that the guy can be exposed. And I was a pretty big fan of Loriano coming into the season. But I still think there was quite a bit in his profile that says this guy can get exposed. You know, 28% strikeout rate, 388 Babbitt, um, struggled against sliders last year. Um, I, I agree with you, uh, to put it a different way, uh, the way you put it, uh, to go back to it, um, I do think also that he uh, is looking fastball on a lot of those sliders that he struggles on. Um, and by the time he sort of adjusts to the breaking ball, uh, he's already out in front of it. Um, and, and that causes a lot of his, his struggles as a hitter. Um, you know, Tim Anderson, the real question for me is how valuable are stolen bases in your league? Because he has been running rampant to start of the year, um, and I kind of think he's athletic enough to continue to do that. Uh, I mean, stolen bases is a skill too, and I can buy that he has uh, improved that skill even if he hasn't shown uh, an improved eye. Uh, in a five-by-five five league, uh, you know, I've never been a, a huge Tim Anderson guy, um, I'm, I'm a huge slave to plate discipline, um, but he is incredibly athletic. And in a five-by-five five league, I have a hard time seeing him not returning value because uh, those stolen bases are going to carry so much weight, um, and his batting average ultimately isn't going to be uh, comparatively uh, as bad as his OBP as someone who just never takes a walk. Um, is there any uh, other May standouts to you so far or, or any trends that, that you would want to discuss before we move on to the the streamers real quick? Well, I, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, uh, a, a guy that wasn't owned in many leagues because he's probably, I would say he was drafted in every league, well, every league that wasn't an NL only, but, you know, Alex Bregman, you know, there was a little bit of a struggle for him, but he's really, really put it together in May. I mean, you're talking about 
play. It's, it's only May 9th, but, you know, since May 2nd, he's hit five home runs. So he's really starting to swing uh, or feel the swing there at the plate. And I, I think this is big for, for uh, Houston, too, really getting him going. Carlos Correa as well. He started putting together and, and, and George Springer. So you're finally starting to see them really uh, shovel the coal into the uh, the engine that is the uh, the Houston Astros. So that, I thought that was oh oh. There's one more name too. Speaking of Houston, that I really wanted to bring up too. I, I, again, I, I not not a struggle by any means, but just while we're talking about OPS, and you know, I'd like you to bring up that point you did about his uh his, the that bats and no swing and misses. But how about Michael Brantley? for Houston. You know, uh, earlier, you know, before the season started, we talked about Cleveland needing an outfield. How can you not go out and, or not, not go out, but how can you let a guy like Michael Brantley walk? But, you know, bring up that good point you were talking about with Michael Brantley and his swings and misses. Yeah, I don't know the exact number I saw, but I did see a tweet that over the, the course of his last, you know, show number plate appearances, I don't know if it was like a dozen or, or even more, that he hasn't had a, a single swing and a miss. Uh, his overall, let me see if I still have it. I think I do. Uh, no, uh, his overall swing strike rate this year is overall whip percentage is less than it was last year. And last year, I believe it was the best in baseball. I mean, his D contact, his rate of contact in the zone was the best in baseball. Um, his overall contact percentage this year is 2% higher than last year. Uh, and it was already, again, probably the best in baseball. So, I mean, he's, you know, when you make a line graph or, you know, like one of those charts, um, like box and whisker pot, if you, if anyone knows what I'm saying by that, uh, and and you dot out every single player. Michael Brantley is the guy on the very far end of the graph that has a little bit of a distance between him and everybody else um, that some people would call, you know, an outlier. Um, and uh, if you uh, back, uh, if you want to get back to Michael Brantley, um, one other name I wanted to, to throw out uh, while while we're uh, on the topic of the Houston Astros is uh, Jordan Alvarez. Uh, real, just real quick. I, I know we didn't. Uh, I, I know I didn't bring him up before, but uh, it made me think of it since we're talking about hot, hot performances um, on on the Houston Astros. I mean, 14 home runs, 14% walk rate, K percentage down to 20%, 391, 481, 873 slug percentage. Uh, these are AAA numbers, obviously for Jordan Alvarez, um, but incredible performance for him in AAA. So uh, Alvarez and Brantley uh, on the Astros. Uh, if you have anything uh, there, Kyle. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there was never a question with Michael Brantley how good of a hitter he was. You know, I mean, he's really seen it put together, and it's it's amazing because we know what Houston's offense already is. And then, you know, it's almost a, a one of the, the rich get richer, if you will, by bringing Brantley in. And he, he's been putting together what he has the season he's already had. So, you know, I like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, too, uh, with Jordan Alvarez, too. I mean, he, he's been absolutely spectacular on this season. I mean, last year – the most home runs he's ever hit and he split time between double A AA and triple A at 20 but he I mean good lord he's only six away from that too so you know he's on pace of having a, a, an absolute monster monster season what I like about him as well is you know strikeouts too not not too much of a concern with him I, I feel like his plate discipline is is, is really uh, uh, well above average like plus plus uh, on that aspect and you know the interesting thing is too when we when we, when we see things especially preseason about outfield ranks, you always get that thing about Kyle Tucker. When's Kyle Tucker going to get the call? When's Kyle Tucker going to get the call? Well, the thing about him is he he does show that ability where he does seem at, at times uh, a mismatch or, or outmatched uh, in the batter's box and the strikeouts tend to go up. But now with a guy like Alvarez too, I, I feel like he's leapfrogged him in their own outfield rankings in terms of their prospects. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, it definitely feels like Rich getting richer. You know, I mean, you mentioned to start this whole thing, you know, the guys like Cray and Bregman who who got off to a little bit of a slow April. Um, you know, Bregman's get, starting to get a reputation as a guy who gets off to a little bit of a slow April especially. Um, but they're obviously red hot right now. Um, Alvarez actually might be on the minor league DL for a short period of time right now. Um, but what he's done so far this season, not yet 22 years old uh, at Triple A, is simply great. Um, you know, talked about growing into power. This guy's six five according to his Fangraphs page. So you know, obviously you got a, a, a lot of uh, you know frame to build into there. Uh, he's seen a huge jump in isolated power so far this year. So so definitely a name to keep keep an eye out for um don't have a ton of time left in the show but but we will move on to some streamers um kyle uh just just give me uh pretty much everything you have uh since since we're running a little bit short on time if you did one per day just give me the three names or just let me know what you're thinking about some of the streaming matchups for this weekend so especially with, with, with dfs I, I i've really hopped on the bandwagon of trying to target uh um <laughs> Uh, Detroit or Texas, but I mean, if you're looking at it, I, I was looking at that earlier in the week, and I was like, ah, oh, of course, of course, Houston uh, or Texas is is at Houston, so you know, Verlander going Friday is out of the question because yeah, I mean, he's going to be on, so I'm not going to be streaming him. Uh, but uh, you know, looking at the slate we have um, for for tomorrow, uh, Cincinnati. I, I mean, they're coming off a week in which they did get uh, a no hit. Maybe a guy like uh, Derek Rodriguez. What Derek Rodriguez does have in his favor is, especially tomorrow, the game is in San Francisco. And as you mentioned when we were talking about uh, Posey and Pomeranz, that is a pitcher's ballpark. So, you know, he, he's a good look for Friday, or excuse me, for yeah, uh, for tomorrow. Uh, on the opposite, looking at Google with one per day. Um, looking into Saturday as well, um, I, I'm going to give a, a, a long look at Michael Pineda. I feel like at times he definitely has, you know, it, it, again, it, it's been a, a, a little bit of a up and down thing for him, but uh, going with Michael Pineda on Saturday, I, I, I tend to, as I mentioned earlier, try to go against, uh, you know, against Detroit or Texas. I kind of pick on them, which, you know, I, I, I get it, but, you know, that's something okay, especially for, for DFS. And it, it has been, you know, a little bit of a struggle for Pineda on the season. His numbers really don't look that good. You know, uh, he, he has been um, susceptible to give up the home run. But, again, if I'm looking at DFS matchups or even season long leagues and I, I'm really needing a, a spot starter, a streamer, Pineda might be a, a, a good look pitching at home. Again, Detroit's going into Minnesota. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, too, Saturday's going to be a doubleheader. And, and Martin Perez, too, uh, he had a huge last start for Minnesota. So they're, they're actually both uh, – those starting pitchers for Minnesota on Saturday, I, I uh, take a uh, consideration they're going with. And then looking at Sunday too, um, he, he was in my article uh, this past week. I've been doing DFS uh, articles, but Griffin Canning uh, for Los Angeles, they are going into, into Baltimore. And actually it, it, to be honest with you, I get Anaheim, Baltimore, maybe you don't get uh, uh, too excited about that, but uh, John Means too. I, I feel he's put together a very solid season for Baltimore. I like what, well, you know, what he's done too, but uh, Griffin Canning, I, I wanted to t- uh, hit on him a little bit. Again, he was a high pick second round pick for uh, uh, Anaheim. And I, I mentioned him for his start. Let me see what day it was. It was on, what was it? It was, was it? 
Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, sorry, got it was Tuesday, Tuesday against, against the Tigers. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, so uh, against Detroit in, you know, 5.1 innings pitch. The strikeouts were there. I liked them. Seven strikeouts to one walk. Uh, the previous outing before that uh, against Toronto, six strikeouts to one walk. So, you know, he's been racking up the strikeouts. And, you know, he, he got to face Toronto. He got to face Detroit. And now he has a nice little uh, uh, intriguing matchup uh, against Baltimore. Yeah, it is in Baltimore. But if he can keep the ball down, too, you know, I feel he could be a very, very solid option to pair, especially in not only season long leagues, but in your DFS leagues after you're, you know, you pay up for a guy like, let's say, uh, Jose Barrios, uh, for that matter. If you can get a guy like Canning in there, too, I, I think that could uh, uh, pair up real well. Yeah, so I'm an owner of Griffin Canning uh, in a 15-team dynasty league where I – it's startup league, so I dropped him in the minor league draft uh, this year, the first draft that we had of the season. Um, and I have been thrilled with what I've seen so far as an owner. And I think a lot of people just – Maybe box score gazing might say, you know, why are you thrilled? He's got a 4.66 ERA. Uh, he's averaging under five innings pitched per start through his first two starts. But 13 strikeouts to two walks, only allowed one home run so far this year, has a 1.03 whip. Um, that 1.03 whip comes alongside a 304 BABIP. So he's actually allowing hits at, you know, a fairly regular rate. He's not getting uh, particularly uh, lucky in that regard. Uh, he's stranding a, 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 a low number of batters, um, which is the only thing that really sticks out in his profile and sticks out as being a little unlucky. Um, FIP and XFIP love him so far this year. Those numbers are at 241 and 299. Again, 9.2 innings, but this is a guy who's showing four pitches, showing some upside, uh, getting some swing and miss uh, across the repertoire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is he is he sticking out so far? No, but I think he needs to be owned in really every mixed league right now because he's in a good situation uh, in terms of being in Anaheim, getting to pitch in that park often, getting to play uh, for a team that has a pretty good defense pretty often. Um, and, you know, he, he's showing all the signs right now of, of being a long-term starter at the MLB level. And he's also, you know, striking out a few more guys than I think we expect him to uh, right away. So so that's very interesting. A 20.8% swinging strike rate. Again, 9.2 innings pitched isn't a whole lot. Um, but that's a fairly, fairly significant number. Uh, so uh, I, I didn't pick starters myself this week, but what I did do was just go through uh, and compile a list of matchups and just, just get a – a full smorgasbord of, of potentials. Um, I, I focused on matchups that I found this week against uh, Detroit, uh, home in, uh, against uh, uh, home against Detroit and Minnesota, uh, on the road in Baltimore for the a- a- Angels, uh, home against uh, Cleveland for the a- Oakland Athletics, um, Phillies going into to the Royals, uh, and, and Toronto at home against a, a struggling Chicago White Sox. Um, so those pitchers, you know, uh, you mentioned Griffin Canning starting at the end of the week. Cahill and Matt Harvey playing in Baltimore. Matt Harvey's a hard one for me because Baltimore's a uh, hitter's park, so I think he could be a, a problem there giving up some home runs. But, uh, you know, against Baltimore, all these guys ha- have at least some uh, intrigue of potential uh, in, a, in a DFS format. Uh, Odorizzi, Pineda, Martin Perez uh, against Detroit. Don't know if Martin Perez is going to have that second Saturday start. Uh, or if he's going to pitch on Sunday, but but regardless of fact, um, you know whether you believe in in the Martin Perez breakout or not, Detroit's a good matchup, and, and I think it's it's worth going after. Um, Frankie Montas, Eric Brooks, Mike Fires, 
against the Cleveland Indians. Don't know if they'll push fires back after the the huge uh, pitching performance. Uh, the the number of any or excuse me the number of pitches uh, he threw in that that no hitter. It'll be interesting to see, but uh, that'll be a game uh, at home, which is you know means it's going to be in a good park uh, and against the Cleveland Indians. Um, you know Jake Arrieta probably owned, um, but you know maybe Eflin's not owned. Uh, Vince Velasquez. Um, you know, these are guys that are used to pitching in a terrible hitters or in a terrible pitchers park, uh, rather Citizens Bank, where you give up a lot of home runs. Uh, on the road against Kansas City, you will have to deal with the DH, but you will not have to deal with uh, a terrible park. Uh, and then Clay Ball Colts, uh, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez against the Chicago White Sox. Don't know who all is available on that list, but the White Sox are struggling quite a bit right now. Uh, Moncada and Anderson have cooled off quite a bit from their their hot starts. Uh, Jimenez still on the injured list, so. Um, you know, I, I think that's another matchup uh, worth targeting. Um, I know I just threw out a lot of names, but uh, did anything stick out uh, to you, uh, names that you think we should go deeper on? I mean, for the most part, you know, I think we did. Uh, we we hit the nail on the head. But a, a guy, I, I wouldn't necessarily think he's a streamer because he's going to be uh, owned in a significant number of leagues, but. Uh, uh, Zach Eflin too uh, Saturday against Kansas City, especially for your 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 DFS uh, lineups. He's been awfully good, and and those records at four and three here on the season, but he has looked good. I I feel like he has been getting the swings and misses, and I feel, you know, he has a good uh, chance to do that, especially at Kansas City, where uh, again we have talked about guys, especially like uh, Brian uh, Brian Dozier, uh, Hunter Dozier, who's been having a pretty solid season. Jorge Soler, who's looked really good on the early parts of the season. But, it, but again, at times, I think he is still susceptible to uh, uh, striking out. So, you know, that that could be an interesting play. Uh, especially for Sunday, so late on Mother's Day here. Um, you know, I, I mean, for the most part, uh, I, I think we hit the nail on the head with all, on the, with all the pitchers. All right, sounds good, Kyle. Well, I mean, that will about wrap us up. Um, you know, if, if you did happen to uh, to pick a weekend series that, that you want to dive into, uh, just feel free to use the last uh, couple minutes we have uh, here uh, to uh, to go over that series. And uh, after that, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up and say goodbye. Yeah, no, I, I thought you brought a, a good point up, uh, up earlier when we were talking about uh, the Angels – um, organization in terms of what they were doing because uh, you know as you mentioned you know they haven't really developed uh, a high number of prospects but you know there are two that I wanted to hit on really quick and you know Joe Adele outfielder again only not, I, I want to say he's 19 or 20 I, I think he's 20 years old so we might be you know two seasons before we see him get the call but you know we're, we're seeing these outfielders become younger and younger as they, as they get the call but I mean this guy is a real deal the tools he brings you know we, we talk often about five-tool player, but, I mean, the, the pop he has in his bat, you know, he could steal bases. He could play solid defense, too. I, I like to see that, you know, he is a player that they drafted, but, you know, uh, digging deeper, uh, one name that, you know, we, we, we probably won't mention often. Um, you, uh, you know, listeners might see him pop up in articles, but Kevin Maiton, uh, you know, he's, he's an infielder that can play uh, all three infield, uh, left side, or excuse me, shortstop second and, and third. Um, now, he is the third baseman of the future for this franchise. And, you know, they, he was signed 
uh, by the Braves, but they had to forfeit his rights after the, you know, they found out that the, the whole ordeal when MLB came down on the Braves in, in terms of, you know, holding back a certain amount of a player signing bonus to give the stack onto another players. But, you know, looking at him, again, another player, whether or not you want to call him homegrown, but they did end up signing him after uh, uh, Atlanta had to forfeit his rights. But right now at 19, uh, he he is a player to really 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 keep an eye on. I feel like he has that athletic ability. He's going to be a bigger uh, a bigger guy for the for the uh, for an infield spot. So you probably will see him play third base. Um, but again, the bats there, young. He's learning the game. He's he's in a single A right now, and he's also a little bit of a slow start. But you know, it, it's very impressive what he's been able to do for the, in the past two seasons in the minors. So again, especially for dynasty leagues. Or keep or, or, or any like that to have the minor league draft. Kevin Maiton is a guy to watch because I have a feeling if you you're going to still have when he gets called up the next few years, you're still going to have Trout in his prime. You're going to have Joe Adele really hitting the scene hard, and then you can have a guy like Kevin Maiton. If if the Angels can really start to develop their pitching and keep pitchers healthy, because you know as I mentioned in the past, I, I feel they're one of the worst organizations in terms of guys needing Tommy John surgery. You can throw Baltimore on the, on uh, in that category too, but um, uh, uh, just uh, what I was getting at with the pitchers, a guy like Griffin Canning, they drafted him high second round. Whether or not he has one or two stuff remains to be seen. Maybe better suited as like a a middle or like a three four type in your rotation. But if they can get him at his age, he's only twenty two, so he's extremely young. That could put them ahead, getting another arm that they were able to develop on their own. So uh, I like what I've seen in, in some of their, these players, that, uh, young players that the Angels have, other than a guy like Trout or Otani. Yeah, you know, um, you know, who, it remains to be seen if Billy Appler is the GM that can take the Angels to the promised land. But I think, uh, you know, say he were fired at any point, I think he's always going to be uh, a little. Uh, underscored as a guy uh, who really did a lot for this team, really did a lot to get it to the place it needs to be uh, in terms of, of, of rebuilding this organization, of rebuilding the farm system. You know, Joe Adele is the most talented player they've had, like, you know, since Mike Trout. But, like, that's a weird thing to say because I'm not saying he's as good as Mike Trout. It's just they haven't had anyone close to a top-level prospect come out in the last six or seven years. Um, and then, you know, the, the Albert Pujols contract, I mean, really it looked bad from the start. Um, but it really started looking bad, you know, 2015, he hit 40 home runs, despite the, the bad, you know, war, the bad OVP, he hit 40 home runs, and that was still all right. Um, you know, 2016, he had under one war in the last three years, he's had a negative one war. 2016, we couldn't even see the other, you know, you couldn't see the horizon yet when it come to, came to the Albert Pujols uh, contract. You know, now we can. It's 2021, uh, you know, yes, we're still paying him for another two years. Um, that, that, you know, frankly, he's not going to earn that much um, in terms of what, he, what he's going to perform at. But, you know, they're almost, they're almost over that hump. You know, this team should have uh, the ability to, to have a very big payroll uh, out there in Los Angeles with Mike Trout. So uh, should be signs of brighter things to come for the Angels. But thanks for joining me today, Kyle, and uh, I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, and I'll, I'll see you next week. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Yep, take care. Um, So, you know, that will about wrap us up for the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show on Blog Talk Network. I have been your host, Cole Friel. Uh, I will be back as the co-host on the Sunday show with Brian Roach hosting. 
uh, this Sunday, and Kyle will be back as my co-host uh, next Thursday. Uh, until then, uh, see you next time.